The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Switching gears for a bit as we as we continue to find ways to live with COVID-19, we continue to learn more about the virus. Now, in Canada today, there are more than 140,000 uh, confirmed cases. There's been uh, 9,199 deaths in Canada. Um, these are uh, the numbers from just a couple of hours ago, and more than 122,000 people have recovered from it. Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health is giving an update in about 30 minutes. You'll hear it here live, but right now I wanted to check you in with friend of the show, Dr. Peter Brindley, a critical care doctor at the University of Alberta Hospital. He's been working through this pandemic and has been kind enough to check in with us when he can. Uh, Peter, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I hope everybody's well. Oh, well, you know what? Just thinking today, it's been six months since I started working from home. This has been six months, of course, for a lot of people, uh, uh, including you and the folks at the hospital, your team. What? How do you describe the past six months? Yeah, it's a, it's a rough anniversary to celebrate, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, lots of things are the same as they were before, same cautions, same sort of sense of you know we've got this we can manage this we still have capacity but we know the numbers are up tough to know whether this is our second wave or our first wave i, I suspect mm-hmm. it's our first wave everyone's managing um much like i would imagine most people who are listening we are sick to death of wearing masks but we'll obviously mm-hmm. keep on doing it because that's what's needed and we'll obviously wash our hands and maintain distance and, and in fact if i can emphasize do all three of those things don't think just wearing a mask gives you license to get really close to people or give up on washing hands but yeah we're managing and i i hope people listening are too what have you learned um you know when you look at that team that you work with over the past six months what what have you learned through all of this well i've learned that they're the finest people on god's green <laughs> earth uh yeah, you know, just after your listeners obviously oh and by the way <laughs> after my brother who i found out listens into your show awesome um, but no i mean i uh, things challenge people and bring out the best or the worst most of what i've seen has been the best healthcare workers are tired i mean again we will soldier on that doesn't mean that anyone's giving up or throwing in the towel we are we are all pretty tired but i would imagine that mirrors how the public feels about this and how parents feel with their kids back in school and people such as yourself feel it's it's a long hard slog and it's got many months left to go you know, uh, Dr. Brindley, it's interesting. I'm just pulled up the you know, the case charts in in Alberta right now. There's 38 people in hospital in the province, six in intensive care. That number has come down over the past uh, few weeks, which is good news. Although the active case numbers have started to go back up. I mean, when you look at 38 in the hospital across uh, the province, six in intensive care. Um, for a lot of people, that doesn't seem like much. But can you give us an idea about an intensive care unit patient? How long typically do they end up in hospital? What does that look like? Well, I think all your comments are very fair, and there needs to be room for that discussion and that doubt. It it shouldn't just be a case of people like me coming on the radio and saying, how dare you do as you're told. Mm. 
Um, the one thing I would caution people about is that intensive care stays have a very long tail, regardless of whether we're talking COVID or, or all of the things we've traditionally looked after. What I was taught as a medical student is a day in the ICU is two to three weeks of recovery. And that's wow. for somebody in their 40s or their 50s. So just to put that into context, a week in the ICU is two to three months to get over. And COVID, if you end up in the ICU, is a long recovery. We're, we're typically talking 10 to 14 days on a breathing machine if it gets mm -hmm. to that point. So perhaps that puts it into context. We're hearing more and more about um, what are being described as COVID long haulers, people who may have been sick and maybe not necessarily in the hospital, but are dealing with long-term side effects, weeks, even months afterwards. Um, what have you been watching uh, on that front? Yeah, it's a good question. It's, it's more the experience we've seen coming out of Europe, where they've had the huge numbers and coming out of New York. Mm -hmm. As I say, critical illness, no matter how it's, the manifests has a long tail. It beats up the body. If you're bad enough that the only way to keep you alive is via machines, imagine what that's done to the body. And typically, if the body's going to make it, it's one organ affected and all the others rally. Uh, and if the body's not going to make it, and sorry if this sounds so blase, it certainly isn't meant to, but it's the dominoes that drop. It's one organ affects the next, affects the next, mm -hmm. just like dominoes dropping. And we have seen some of that in COVID. We have seen ex accelerated numbers of strokes, for example. So we've talked about it as a, a lung disease, but it does cause the blood to clot for sure. Heart attacks, skin manifestations, joint manifestations. So it is what we in ICU call a systemic disease that affects mm -hmm. the whole body. And typically, once the whole body is affected, that's when a guy like me as an ICU doctor gets involved rather than uh, internal medicine doctors or just emergency doctors. And Dr. Brindley, when you talk about things like blood clots and, and strokes and, and heart issues, and I guess that's why we are seeing more cases in those who have, I think they're called comorbidities, um, and, and those folks need to be even more careful. We all have to be careful, but those folks even more so? That's absolutely correct. You've, you've definitely deserve a medical degree at the end of this, Jamie. <laughs> all your terms are spot on. Comorbidities is the word. The unfortunate issue is one of the biggest comorbidities is obesity. And, you know, I stand here as a gentleman with Alberta's average body mass index of 28 to 29, and that's where the numbers start to take off. So it isn't just people who've had transplants. It isn't just people who have five or six or seven medical diagnoses, though it's certainly those people. It is... Uh, people who are obese, people who have diabetes, and, and, and some of the more what we used to call ambulatory diseases, in other words, mm -hmm. things that would never end you up in a hospital. Well, and that's it. You think, you know, high blood pressure and obesity and, and that sort of thing. And I, you look around and go, I think there's a majority of folks out there who might be living with that uh, in North America. Dr. Brindley, um, there's been a lot of talk about COVID fatigue, that people are, are done and they're fed up. Um, and as a result, maybe some of them are not 
doing the things that they're being asked of, washing their hands, the physical distancing, wearing a mask, wearing a mask properly, um, keeping the bubble somewhat quiet. You know, we've heard stories of, of parties and we're knowing that that's where a lot of transmission is actually happening right now in kind of personal get-togethers, uh, not necessarily community transmission. What do you tell people about pandemic fatigue? Well, it's a very real thing, so I think it needs to be discussed and it needs to be aired. And again, it does. It shouldn't just be brushed aside with, with people virtue signaling and, you know, you, you don't, for example, have to wear a mask when you're on your own in a vehicle. Um, <laughs> So, so there are ways to reduce that COVID fatigue. Um, I would again, though, emphasize that it is that we do all three things. There, there have been some suggestions that if all you do is wear a mask, you may actually subconsciously go closer to people. A, because you feel falsely reassured, and, and B, because you think you have to shout to be heard. So we've got to do all three of those things. I, I, I want to be honest, I sense that COVID fatigue too, and I've heard just about every doctor or every nurse say, I'm done with this. Let's just get back to reality. Now, you say that and you move on. I mean, mm -hmm. all the parents listening, we've said at some point, oh, I'm done with this kid. But then you re-engage half an hour later. <laughs> and so I think that's probably the best analogy here. We've got to follow the science. Now, what I would emphasize to people is that science isn't just a series of dictates. Science is a way of thinking. Science is the best evidence possible. Stay engaged with the discussion. It may change, and therefore the advice may change. That is still the scientific, logical, mm -hmm. dispassionate approach. That's what I would say to COVID fatigue. You know, again, I don't, I've been melodramatic on your show before and I don't want to be, but yesterday was 80 years of the anniversary since the Battle of Britain. Battle of Britain, yep. You know, we, uh, we've seen this before or our ancestors have seen this before. I mean, can you imagine if they had Twitter storms during the Battle of Britain? <laughs> we can, we can manage this, but, but you need a moment or two to say, yep, I'm exhausted. I wish this was over. For goodness sake, we have to balance COVID against all of the other diseases and illnesses that are out there, but it still matters and it's still darn important. I just had this text that came in. It says, OMG, when 0.0001% of people who are infected with COVID end up in the ICU, that's no big deal. Quit with your scare tactics. <laughs> Uh, well, as I pointed out before, I, I think all these opinions need to be heard and I wouldn't shout anybody down. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to say that that's, that's ridiculous, unreasonable, for goodness sake, lock that person up. I think those opinions need to be heard. And in fact, within the scientific community, there, mm -hmm. there is an ongoing daily, hourly debate so that we balance COVID against all of the other illnesses that are out there. I mean, I'm the director of a neurointensive care unit. It's incredibly important to me that head injuries and strokes and multiple sclerosis and brain surgery is continu continues to be treated and is balanced against all of these other things. So, so in fact, my guess is the person that sent that text in and I would have a great deal in common and would agree on 98% of stuff. It's the 2% where we have to keep talking and listening and have a dialogue and 
I, I think that's where shows like yours do a very, very good job because they, they look at both sides. They look at the medical side and they look at the social impacts. And I, for one, would never minimize the social impacts. We've seen the uptick in car accidents. We've seen the uptick in alcoholism. We've seen mm-hmm. the domestic abuse. We've seen all mm-hmm. these things coming in, uh, overdoses, all these things coming in through mm-hmm. our emergency rooms. So, yep, I, my guess is that person that wrote that and I would agree on most things. Um, I would just caution them that, that they don't want to end up in an ICU and that's do the things really. that you're told. Uh, Dr. Brindley, um, I know there was uh, a time a, a lot of folks who normally would have gone to a hospital because maybe they were having some chest pain or they were having gut pain, they weren't going. And there was concerns about that. And there was concerns about, there's long-term, there's concerns about the long-term impacts of that. Are we seeing people return to the hospital for, uh, you know, for those issues when needed instead of being afraid and staying away? We are, and I'm really glad you brought that up. And people need to. My my advice would be if you came to the hospital, if you would have come to the hospital for it in February, come to the hospital for it in August. Mm-hmm. We have to balance COVID off against other diseases. In the early days, we didn't know whether this was the next bubonic plague, and we didn't know whether it was the next seasonal flu. And it's more than the seasonal flu, but it's less than bubonic plague. And so mm-hmm. we do need to balance these things off. There's more and more literature coming out on what are called excess deaths or hidden deaths, the sort of consequences of socially isolating people and literally isolating people and people not coming into the hospital. Our hospital foundation has done a fantastic job but is very, very eager to re-engage people. I mean, we need to think of the hospitals as places of hope rather than places of fear. And the restrictions on visiting have made that difficult to get that message Mm -hmm. out there. But... uh, going forward as i say it's balancing all of these diseases and and just being sensible and just before i let you go i know keeping mentally healthy um, has been a challenge for a lot of people and certainly there's a lot of stressors out there we have kids back in school uh, teachers trying to figure out how to do it parents trying to figure out how to do it the kids trying to figure out how to do it um that mental health aspect of this again that's a big part of uh, of this puzzle isn't it well, you make a very good point. It's actually comparatively easy being an ICU doctor being than being, let's say, a teacher or a parent, knowing exactly what to do with your kids. Now, I would emphasize every doctor and nurse that I know have sent their kids back to school, uh, but we do realize that it's a really tricky one. Mental health is incredibly important, and you know what? Everyone has their sort of COVID's awful, but here's one useful thing I learned from it. And I think for me as a workaholic doctor and university professor the biggest thing i've learned is that you actually do need downtime you do need to keep a little bit in the tank you can't run yourself on empty all of the time it was very difficult for a lot of us healthcare workers to take time off this summer Um, not just because you can't travel anywhere it was it was advice that we deliberately gave each other and we said you know what we're probably going to have a tough autumn so take a bit of time off now um, I've just been outside in Edmonton's lovely River Valley watching the leaves change <laughs> colors, and it, it was a glorious, restorative couple of hours. My puppy's now five months old. He's absolutely <laughs> lovely. My family's still great. You know, there are lots Good. of things to be very happy and excited and grateful for, and uh, that's part of keeping yourself mentally strong. 
Yeah, especially getting, you know, going back into the winter, into the fall and winter when we're going to be shut in once again, um, like we were at the start of this. I think that's a very good point. Winter is going to be tough. It's not going to be impossible. For goodness sake, we're all burdens. We can do winter. But it is going to be a challenge. Um, and the schools are going to be a challenge. You know, a good family friend of ours has a, an autistic child that sneezed the other day. And because of that, was sent home. And then, you know, a javelin of a nasal swab was stuck yeah. into the back of their pharynx and you know it was very upsetting for mum it was upsetting for the child it was upsetting for the teacher the best way to stick handle your way through that though is just to say we can manage this i've got this we've got the mental reserve for this we're resilient enough um no easy answers but you know what you and i didn't think we'd still be talking six months into this and we no. still are and we may be uh -huh. talking a few more months into this but that's okay <laughs> we'll manage it uh, what was the name of your pandemic puppy again? <laughs> well, my pandemic puppy is Moose. Uh, for the record, we planned to get him for a long time. Uh, the rest of the family voted, and my ballot was apparently lost. Uh, maybe maybe Mr. Trump was onto something about lost ballots. But, uh, God, what a glorious little chap. And, and it probably took COVID for me to slow down enough to... You know, let that little bit of chaos into my life, uh, and it's been immensely rewarding. Uh, Dr. Brindley, always good to talk with you. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Absolute pleasure. Best regards to everybody. I hope you're all yeah. doing okay. Thank you so much. It's 322. We'll take a break here. Dr. Peter Brindley, full-time critical care physician, the U of A, and uh, running over there, the Neurosciences Intensive Care Unit. Always great to chat.